0: well good morning i want to encourage you to laugh but not too hard as i share this story up until my high school years i dreamed of being a professional basketball player now here's the deal you need to know that guys a lot shorter than me managed to make it in professional basketball I mean, let's not worry about the fact that they're infinitely more athletic than I could ever dream of being. Let's don't worry about that. It's just, that's important I should note that. But I was at the end of my sophomore year of high school, and the time came for me to register for classes for the next year. And in order to be athletics, to play basketball, I had to get coach's permission. And I can still remember walking down the long hallway to his door. He didn't know me. I didn't know him. And I'd worked out a certain phrasing of how I wanted to, you know, introduce myself and how I wanted to play for him next year. Uh, He asked me what grade I was in, a couple other questions, different different things, And, and his voice still plays in my head when I ask him if it was okay if I tried out for him next year. He said, I'm sorry, son. He said some other stuff. I honestly don't remember what that part was. The point was that my dream died right there in the hallway of my high school. I was devastated. My, my friends were legitimately concerned about me. I hit this small depression. I think basketball was something I truly loved. Whether or not I was good at it, was a different story. But at the time, the fact that I was a little less than six feet tall, with minimal athletic ability, that never stood out to me. And what seems obvious to you right now as you watch me it was not obvious to me at all my understanding of the way the plan could be was very very different than God's plan and and after that conversation with my coach or that would-be coach I realized that this was the death of my dream it was the death of something that I thought could happen for me it was a change in, in what was not going to happen for me or at least for the next couple of years and this moment was no surprise to God at all But it was hard for me. Now, as you might assume, I would not trade that death in the hallway of my high school for anything. Looking back on it now, I am well aware that God's plan for me was way better. Not that what I ended up doing with my life was better, necessarily. But just the idea, following God's plan and God's will for my life is infinitely better than the alternative. Now, I tell that story because all of us have had some kind of a run-in with death. Some of us, it's actual death. Maybe it's the death of a spouse, the death of a parent, the death of a child, a death of someone you love. Maybe for you, it's fear of your own death. Maybe it wasn't an actual death. Maybe it was the death of a friendship, the death of a relationship. Or maybe it was a loss of something that was important to you, like a job, like a physical ability, like a dream, like I lost. Maybe those things changed your story. And if you're truly paying attention to those moments, those times, you'll see that God stepped in and changed things. We're in the middle of our summer series, Conversations with Jesus, and this morning we're going to be in John chapter 20. We're going to look at a woman who thought she had lost everything before realizing that everything had changed forever. John 20 tells us the story of Mary Magdalene. And while you turn there, allow me to set the stage. Jesus has been crucified. He's been buried. His disciples, not just the twelve, but all of them have been scattered. All is seemingly lost. The one they'd followed for three years, gone. The one that they thought was the Messiah is in the grave. And their hope is there, buried with him. Now, John chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb. While it was still dark... And saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. And so she ran and she came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them. They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. And we do not know where they have laid him. So she's jumped to a conclusion. It's not an irrational conclusion at all. While you and I know what happens. Try for a second just to put yourself in her shoes. The idea of a stolen body. That's not an insane thought at all. She's saying, we saw him die. Jesus is dead. We saw him put in the tomb. He's gone. So the only rational conclusion is that they have taken his body. There's no other option. One rational explanation. And just, think, just when things couldn't get any worse, right? I mean, all their hope in the Messiah is dead. And now they've taken his body. One rational explanation. Look at verse 3. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. Now let me summarize real quick. Peter and John, they run to the tomb. They confirm it's empty, just as Mary said. And then we look at verse 9. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their homes. Now I find it interesting, the contrast between the two interactions. These two disciples, Peter and John... They, they need to confirm the facts that Mary had for them, that the body's been taken. So they go and they check it out, and sure enough, she's right. And so then they go home. It's different than Mary's response. They go home. And I have no doubt that Peter and John were defeated by the news the same way Mary was. And so maybe their reaction is different because they had somewhere else to go. Maybe their reaction is different because they had a different status in the culture and they were secure in something else. Or or maybe it was just a personality that gave them a different response. But their conclusion is exactly the same. That Mary is right. There's one rational explanation. Someone has taken the body. No other explanation in the history of the world can explain this, right? So with nothing else they can do, they go home. Verse 9 makes it clear. They don't get the bigger picture here. They don't see what's happened. But what about Mary's response? Well, Mary stays. She's hanging close by. Her reaction is different. Look at verse 11. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. Now, her action may be different from the disciples for a variety of reasons, like I said. But one of the major reasons is her story to this point in Scripture. Let's take a time out here and let's look at Mary Magdalene. We can piece together her story from the rest of Scripture. So, in Luke chapter 8 jesus called seven demons out of mary so you have to stop and think of the severe physiological trauma that would have been on a woman who had been demon possessed and we know from that point forward she followed jesus she went with him as they went why because he had rescued her from her worst he truly was her savior we know she was there at the foot of the cross We know that she was there when they put Jesus in the tomb. He was her everything because he had redeemed her. He had made her right. So following him was just a natural extension. This is very likely the reason why she was one of the first one there after the Sabbath. She just wanted to be with him even if he was gone. So here she's at the tomb. His body's gone. And there's one rational explanation. Someone took it no other option. I think a lot of us have experienced that moment when they feel like all is lost. Maybe, maybe not even that big a deal, but that certain things have been taken away and we've lost them. Maybe we've been in a position where we've been paralyzed by fear, unable to move forward. Maybe we've lost a job. Maybe we've lost a family member. Maybe we've lost a relationship, something we've put our trust in. We all know the feeling church is different or maybe it's dollars in a bank account or a house that's truly home. And maybe it's a major issue, a major loss, a major place of fear or maybe it's something smaller like a change of plans. I think for instance of a, a change of plans, I was supposed to be leading a team of students and leaders to Guatemala on a mission trip this summer. We were supposed to be leaving this morning and look how that turned out. So those changes happen, those big and small things that happen to us are a reminder to each and every one of us where we find our real security. The difference between us and Mary is that in this situation, Mary had her faith in the absolute right thing. She just didn't see the bigger picture. And we struggle with misplacing our faith in things that aren't lasting. So it's easy to look at Mary's situation and understand why she's weeping. Look at the rest of verse 11. And so, as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? This is a huge phrase in this passage. Why are you weeping? We see it twice here, once in a bit. She offers an explanation. She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. The, the explanation doesn't answer their real question, though. On the surface, it seems like it does, but the angels are asking a deeper question. Woman, why are you weeping? The reality is there is a time for weeping. There's a time for sorrow. The book of Ecclesiastes reminds us there's a the time for a lot of things, and one of those things is mourning. John Gordon reminds us last week that Jesus himself wept at the tomb of Lazarus. There's a time where the pain in our life is so great, where the load is so heavy, that our response is natural to weep. This weeping comes most frequently when death separates us, where the weight of sin seems to be victorious. But the angels here are asking the question Woman, why are you weeping? Because they can't believe it. They're incredulous. This is a time for celebrating. Why are you weeping? To them, they are seeing it as she is just standing there, just having inherited millions of dollars, told she never has to pay any taxes ever again, her teams have won all their respective championships, and her her two daughters have gotten into the absolute best school. Oh, wait, wait, that's me. But the notion is exactly the same. Think of the absolute best things that could happen to somebody. And then wonder why that person is standing in front of you at the bottom of a deep depression. She doesn't understand what's happened. She doesn't see this huge victory. She doesn't even see there's angels hanging out in the tomb where Jesus had been. She's weeping because she thinks there's one possible explanation. Why are you crying? You don't need to be. This isn't the time. This is why they're asking the question... Verse 14, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Now I'm going to level with you, I find myself wondering why Jesus was just kind of hanging around by the tomb. Like, couldn't he find his disciples and be like, hey, I'm back? But this is actually critical to the story. Verse 15, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Again, there's that question again but it's a little different now the angels couldn't believe it why are you weeping don't you see what happened Jesus' tone's a little different why are you weeping whom are you seeking so in a sense the first question is exactly the same concept as the angels this is not a time for weeping but you are stuck in weeping anyway this is a moment of victory but you're not seeing it but the second question adjusts the perspective who are you seeking It's a rhetorical question. He's saying, look up. There's only one answer to this question. We all know what the answer to the question is. Of course she's the one seeking. He's the one she's seeking. But not just his body. She wants to know the hope that she had. She wants to know the time following him wasn't lost. She wants to know that her faith wasn't misplaced. She wants to see the Messiah again. Knowing that he is who she knew him to be all along. It's easy to get that picture of her head down, tears rolling down her cheeks, dropping at her feet, eyes swollen from sobbing. She's not even looking. She doesn't recognize him, she doesn't see that he's standing right in front of her. And I think we can identify with this too. We've seen that level of sorrow in our lives or maybe we've seen had a point in our lives where fear just won out for the moment where we just were paralyzed by that fear. I know I've been there before. I can remember a time in my life, a vivid moment in memory of my life just sitting there on a brick fireplace in a house that I couldn't afford to live in anymore. I had a wife and a small child trying to figure out how we were going to eat, trying to make the math work. I know that pain, that fear, that sorrow. I'd lost a job. I'd lost a ministry. I'd lost what I thought was God's great call in my life. Gone. It was a hard death. It was a place of fear, a place of sorrow. And what I know now, it's quite obvious to me now, is that I had faced that death to be freed up to something greater. To be called to a greater joy. Jesus was standing there saying, look up, this is temporary. The victory I've secured overrides this moment. Look up. There's a better story and you need to hear it. Have you faced that in your life? Yeah, God's timing is very different than ours. But in those moments, in those heartaches, there's a greater story at work. We don't see it because there's only one rational explanation. And it's not good. And a lot of us have seen that. We've dealt with that in these last few months in our world. Maybe you're concerned about losing your own life. And we sit with our head and our hands. And Jesus is saying, look up. It's only at the darkest points of night do we most need the dawn. He's dead and they've taken the body. At our lowest points, the hardest places, we need to see what's really going on. Who are you seeking? It's a question we need to ask whenever we're at those darkest points. When all is lost, when there is no hope, when fear is paralyzing, who are you seeking? Because when we answer that question, we suddenly are called to look up and see him. Continuing in verse 15, supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Jesus is saying, look up, but she's unable to. She's so distraught, so caught up in her emotions, so full of fear. Surely this is the gardener. Surely he's, he's able to tell me where the body is. Verse 16, And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Raboni, which means teacher. At that moment, my mind goes to Jesus in John chapter 10, where he tells his disciples, my sheep know the sound of my voice. He called her. She looked up. She knew him immediately. She broke away from the sorrow. She broke away from the pain. It was immediately brought to the point of being called to joy. Now, I've been accused of, of having little heart when it comes to sappier stories that are trying to like, get emotion out of me. Uh, but I am a sucker for viral videos of military service members coming home. One of those stories of the surprise at a graduation, or at a school event, or or maybe at a sporting event, or maybe just walking into the house, the the family, the husband, the wife are just sitting doing their own thing, not knowing their spouse is about to walk in the door. Or maybe the uh, kids are playing, they're unaware that mom or dad is home, they're concentrating on something. And then they see their soldier, their sailor, their airman when they look up. Everything changes. Their whole face changes. It's elation. It's absolute joy. Everything has changed. Mom and dad is home. My son is home. For Mary, for the disciples, for all of us, it turns out there's more than one possible explanation. No one stole his body. And then when that new explanation comes into play, everything changes. If this explanation is true, and it is, then it is definitely not a time for weeping. It is a time to celebrate a move to absolute joy. See, the idea of there only being one possible explanation, the bad one, that's from our perspective, not God's. No one stole Jesus' body. Mind-blowing change. These things are not irrational when God steps in. They're supernatural. There's a difference between irrational and supernatural. Supernatural explanation that is totally rational. And it changes everything. See, our faith, the belief in Jesus, needs the rational. The reality is Jesus had to conquer sin. He had to conquer death. And this is the way he did it. That is absolutely rational. Our faith is based on an understanding. And Mary and the disciples just hadn't figured it all out just yet. Our faith is based on the truth. And just because it's supernatural doesn't mean it can't make complete sense. And that's exactly what we have here. Jesus calls her. He says, look up. I have something far beyond the circumstances. I offer me. I offer relationship. I offer eternity. I offer life. And the losses that we lose in the comparison pale to the victory that has already been won. Joy! This is what joy is about. Joy isn't about the circumstances, the moments of paralyzing fear, the moments of extreme sorrow. Joy is eternal. Joy isn't about our ability to control a situation. Joy is about an interaction with an almighty God. Jesus calls Mary to joy. He calls her past the point of sorrow to see the victory. And the point... Of this calling is yes there are times for mourning there are times to cry there are hard times but that call is not to stay there is to move on to go forward and not to dwell in those negative spaces several years ago I had an experience where I can only describe it as my upper back attacked me I was I was out for a run and all of a sudden something seized up in my neck and my back And I limped home, unable to lift my head. I stayed in bed for a couple days, trying to loosen up, trying to go on. And and before, before long, I was at a chiropractor who offered an insane solution. I found myself upside down on an exercise ball with weight hanging off the top of my head. Now, it was insane. It wasn't supernatural. But it was a crazy situation. But it worked and I got better as time went on and I will tell you right now there were some hard times in that process there were some difficult places along the way there were some days of soreness there were some days of struggle There were some days of I just don't want to but for me I couldn't stay in a place of brokenness I couldn't stay in a place of pain I had to move through that and work my way through it because I couldn't stay in that hard place I had to move ahead So when we have these experiences in our lives, when we have these brushes with death, when we have these moments of paralyzing fear, God may be taking away something. But those most painful situations remind us of the victory of the resurrection. Nothing we experience, no pain, no fear, no sorrow, is a match for this greatest victory. That's why there's joy in the seemingly crushing times because he has called us to relationship he has called us to life he has called us to something so much greater than those struggles verse 17 jesus said to her stop clinging to me for i have not yet ascended to the father but go to my brethren now there's a couple proofs of the resurrection here in this passage we'll get to one in a minute but this is a big one here mary was there at his death mary was there when they laid him in the tomb This is exactly why she was so positive that the body had been stolen. Because since she saw him alive, it changed everything. This was supernatural. Not irrational, supernatural. He had risen from the dead. And the proof of the resurrection is she could cling to him. He was real, he was present, he was physically in front of her. Obviously when she recognized him, she grabbed hold of him. She held on tight. She didn't want to lose him again. There was a second or two that passes between verse 16 and verse 17. My guess is a little bit longer than that. Jesus is saying, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. Though that time is coming soon, but I haven't yet ascended to my Father. So let me breathe. There's going to be more opportunities to spend time with me. So she thought she'd lost him. And so she was clinging to him with all that she is because she never wanted to lose him again. Cling, to hang on with everything you have. This is what God wants from us. You think about the blessings that God has given us in this life. We can hold on to them loosely. They're not without their value. But before Him, the most important thing, our source of security, they do lose their value. There's there's where Mary, this is where Mary got it right. And many of the rest of us struggle in a major, major way. When we have our moment, our interaction with death, whether a real death, the death of a dream, the loss of something, the moment of fear, all those things are there to remind us that Jesus is victorious over it. The pain, the darkness, the heartache of sin and death fade when we cling to the light. Mary thought she'd lost the one we all need to be clinging to. And we could all do so well in that moment of complete loss, in that moment of paralyzing fear, because that loss is there to drive us to the one we can find real security in. Finishing verse 17. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and to your Father and my God and your God. Now here's a brief picture of the unity between the Father and the Son and Mary because of her faith in Jesus, the relationship that's there. And then off she goes. Verse 18. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. What a subtle transition. What a subtle transition. The last time we saw any disciples in this passage, they had just came to that same conclusion Mary had, that they, whoever they is, have taken the body. But now she comes with the story that she's seen him and, oh, by the way, he said some stuff to me because he's alive. There's more than one explanation. The supernatural, rational explanation. A God-centered one. So a couple of things are important about this. We wondered, at least I did, why Jesus was hanging around at the tomb. He was there because she needed to find him. She needed to go through the worst of pain to come to the other side. Why? Why? so she could have the best story to tell the absolute best story to tell the best dawn follows the darkest night the second interesting thing about this is this is another proof of the resurrection the second one i mentioned the first one earlier is that the way this story plays out is important it's a detail that's included for a good reason because of the way it plays out we know that this story is true Mary, as a woman during that time, would not have had any standing legally or culturally. She just wouldn't have. And so it's critical that John, the author of this gospel, shares this story because we know it's true. Because if he were making it up, he wouldn't have been using the story of Mary. Her testimony wouldn't have mattered. But it was huge to those who knew her, to those who would see Jesus alive, to those who would know that real change massive earth-shattering change had come everything had changed and mary's had this resurre- uh, run-in with resurrection with death and resurrection that changes everything she herself has gone from death to life she's gone from the loss of everything back to square one where she was when jesus had found her and then he called her he called her out of the pain and into life He called her from a place of complete loss to a place of joy, to victory, to a place of relationship, to a place of life, to a place of eternity. He called her. He called her to where she recognized that she was standing in front of a risen Savior who'd conquered death. And all this, she has to go tell someone. Now, I personally don't think she needed the instruction to go tell. I just think she needed the instruction to let go. The tell part was natural. Let go so you can do what's going to come naturally, which is go tell anyone and everyone who will listen. She can't stop the desire to share the sheer joy. Now, I am not a storyteller. I'm not. Uh, But I've made a study of storytelling. I like watching those who tell stories well. And the best stories... They're not the ones that just feed you information. They're not ones that just say, hey, I need you to know this. There are plenty of stories like that. The I just need to tell you stories. The informational stories. I know they exist because I have been the father of small children. No, I talk a lot too, I get it. But the best stories are not those stories. They're the ones that draw you in. They're the ones that take you for a ride. They inspire you to be a part of it. The best stories are emotional. They describe loss and recovery, lost and then found. They remind us of Jesus' death and resurrection. They carry us from a place of pain to a place, the redemption that goes with it. This is the essence of Mary's story. I mean, honestly, this is the essence of Mary's life, to be honest. It's the singular moment. The singular moment is a microcosm for Mary's life. And I think we can wrap our heads around that as well. right? Any brush with death, moment of complete loss, looking up from a moment of fear, that changes our perspective. And for us, maybe that's getting over fear and actually living life as God has called us to. Or maybe it's a loss of something that has freed us up to do something else that He's called us to. It's God opening a door in a place that we didn't even know He put a door there. All of that is part of of God putting together our story that relates directly to his story. See, Jesus didn't just return to Mary. That's a good little thought. It's a nice little story tied up with a little bow. But Jesus did something so much bigger than that. He conquered the grave. He conquered sin and death. He offers life far beyond the fears and the struggles and the sorrow that sin and death bring us. So for every single one of us, we have that if we will believe. He calls us from death to life and to eternity with Him to relationship, to joy. So real quick, I have three takeaways for us as we look at Mary's story. Number one, if you haven't come to the point where you've come to know the joy that God has called us through, through Christ's death and the resurrection, then believe in Him today. He calls us out of pain pain and death to life and eternity with Him in right relationship as each one of us stares the 100% chance of death in our own lives. But He offers life. He offers something so much better. He offers joy. Our sin leads to death. When we do it ourselves, that's what we end up with. But there's a rational, supernatural solution. Jesus calls us to life. Look up. Believe. Know the life that comes from that relationship and not having to fear death. Number two, if you're struggling in one of those hard places we've been talking about this morning, whatever it is, maybe that's something that's been on your head this whole time. If you are struggling in one of those places, remember when it is the most dark, that light becomes so clear. It seems so much brighter. Look up. Be called to the joy that Jesus offers Face death with joy, not fear. Face the worst, knowing that Jesus has already won. And through Him, we win too. We don't have to stay in those places of fear and sorrow and pain. Yes, it's okay to mourn. It's okay to work through those hard places. But we cannot stay there. That's letting circumstances dictate. That's letting fear win. That's letting sorrow own us. Instead, we have to look up and see the victory that's already been won all that has been defeated we can look up and see Jesus victorious we can look forward to life with him to eternity with him be called to the joy in those hard times number three if you've been through one of those hard times and you've been all the way through it tell the story don't hesitate to tell the story See, these are the stories, the redemption stories that God uses to help people understand death and resurrection. They relate to Jesus' story. They relate to Mary's story. They understand that sin and death have been conquered, and we need that reminder. They help us all, whether we put our faith in Jesus or have yet to. They help us all to look up to Jesus and cling to Him tell the story. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for this story of your story. Lord, we thank you that we, through Jesus' death and resurrection, have life and we can live it. And we don't have to fear sin winning and we don't have to fear death. Lord, I pray for any heart here that doesn't know you, any heart that's watching this now or will be watching this later that doesn't know you. Lord, I pray that you would speak to them. Lord, that you would get their attention and they would come to know you. Lord, I pray for anybody that's struggling through a hard time, that you would be with at, uh, you would, your peace would be with them. Lord, give them joy as, even as they work through it, knowing they can't stay there. And Lord God, give us the boldness to tell the stories of your redemption, your change for us. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us where we are, but not wanting us to stay where we are. Lord God, we thank you for sending your son to give his life so that we could have life through faith in him. It's in his holy name we pray. Amen. We thank you for joining us. Grace and peace be with you. Have a great week. We'll see you soon.